In the United States, one of every four girls and one of every six boys are sexually abused. 20 million Americans living now were victims of parental incest as children. Child pornography is one of the fastest growing internet businesses ever by 150% each year. More than 120,000 kids were sexually abused by the Catholic Church alone. Four point five million public school students have experienced sexual assault or rape at their school. And here in America, more than one point three million children are sexually abused by someone every year. Up to or more than five hundred thousand child molesters are operating in the United States right now. The FBI says a sex offender lives in every square mile of this country. One in ten men molest children and 95% know who their abuser is because few are ever strangers. Their parents, step-parents, siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Friends, neighbors, coaches, clergy, babysitters, and teachers. There are more than 60 million survivors of childhood sexual abuse. I am just one. My name is Sherry Roberts, and you're listening to Sickness of Silence. Welcome to the show. We're sending out an SOS. Sickness of Silence is a special monthly series on challenging the rhetoric that was created to directly address the, you know, the thrill pandemic of childhood sexual abuse that isn't just new now. It's been going on for decades and decades and centuries, I'm sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that maybe one of our guests tonight on the panel can answer that and correct me because I'm sure it's been going on for centuries. Fred, that one's for you. Uh, so here's the deal. We have to stop this, and we have to stop looking the other way and pretending it's not happening or it's not so prolific or somehow otherwise minimizing this problem Um, because a lot of people, if it hasn't happened to them or they don't directly know somebody it's happened to, like one of their own children or siblings, it's easy to minimize it if you're untouched by it. The other thing is is that it's real easy to cringe. Uh, I know I get that reaction. I've had that reaction for many years when I try to talk about the things. I'm not poor me it. I'm not looking for somebody to make me feel better. I'm looking for a constant, continuous conversation. So the series is a collaborative effort to create a continuous and candid dialogue with the public because child sexual abuse is just not something to hush up about. And if we want to stop this pandemic and find a really impactful solution, then we have to talk about it. That's the problem. The disease is the silence. If we're talking about this and we make it everyday language in our homes, in our lives, then those that are uh, perpetuating these abuses are going to find a much harder time because people are going to be so much more informed. So no matter, no matter how hard some of the information tonight is going to be to hear, uh, you need to hear it. And then even harder, you need to share it. And you need to share it far and wide uh, with your social media connections, you know, with your friends, 
with your family. You need to you need to talk with your family, not just your children, but your family. And your family needs to know that you've spoken with your children. So in case one of your family members, as you heard in the opening, you know, it's rarely a stranger. In case one of your family members might be of that bent, and you're talking about this openly, they're going to think a little twice. They're going to know that eyes are on them, even if you aren't aware of them. This is the third roundtable in the series so far. I have a really great group of intelligent panelists that are joining us. Some are returning guests. Some are brand new to the SOS mic. Uh, we welcome them all. Uh, I'm sure that you're all just really going to uh, enjoy might be an odd word for this topic, but I think that you're going to learn, if nothing else, uh, and resonate with at least one of us on the panel. And that's why we're doing a panel, because we all have a different voice. We all have a different piece of this. And, um, you know, we hope to connect with everybody out there. So before I start uh, bringing all these wonderful people on, I have some show info to share, and this is going to help you participate. So I'm going to be tweeting and posting to the social media during the live show. You can follow on Twitter, at CTR Newsfeed. Um, it's CTR Newsfeed because, again, this is a series uh, of my regular show called Challenging the Rhetoric. Uh, we use at hashtag SOS for this series. You can find uh, me on Facebook as well, at facebook.com forward slash sickness of silence. Please be sure to check out the website as well, sicknessofsilence.com or .org, either, either works, I've got them both. And you can find a lot of informative articles that, that I write and some contributors write. And there is a bunch of resources there for families and survivors and even some for the pedophiles out there because we want them to stop it now, uh, which is an organization you can link to on the site. I'm going to be taking callers tonight, so if you'd like to call in and participate, the number is 646 787 1790. The chat room is also live. The chat room can be found on blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. It's spelled C H E R I. Uh, right beneath that slider, the little slideshow there, if you scroll down underneath it, you'll find the chat room. If you're already logged in and you don't see a chat room, it is in fact live. I'm in there right now. Hit your refresh button and you'll see it. If you're listening to an archive, obviously you can't participate in the chat room and you can't call in. But if you are listening live, we would love the, particip the, the participation. Just please, please be respectful to everybody here. It's a really hard topic, and there's a lot of people whose reputations and integrity and feelings and lives are on the line for being so brave. So, okay, let's get down to this right now um, and start bringing everything on so we can get to the business of saving some kids. The first person I'm bringing on, and I'm going to bring all the panelists on kind of right in a row, so as I bring you on, say hello, but then I'm going to move on and bring the next one on. I always bring on Sue Shugarts first. Sue is the social media manager for Sickness of Silence, hashtag SOS. She does a lot of the social media for me, She not just for SOS, but also for challenging rhetoric. She does a lot of really cool things. Um, she can be very helpful. If you have questions and you're listening and you don't want to call in, she is in the chat room. You can direct them to her, and she will shoot me a private message to make sure I'm aware of those. Sue, welcome back. Hi, Sherry. It's good to be back. Kim, we're really looking it's forward great to, to the be show back. tonight. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I'm getting more and more excited, Sue. Every every month that we do this, I'm getting more and more excited because not that we, you know, this topic is like such, you know, great joy or anything, but the fact that we're able to talk about this in such a reasonable and logical manner is wonderful. Um, I just appreciate you. Uh, on that note, oh, Sue, you. I'm going to go ahead and bring... Thank you. I'm going to bring Michael Skinner on. Michael Skinner is also a, a regular panelist with SOS. He, uh, he's, he's a really great person, first and foremost. This man's story breaks my heart every time I hear it. This man was abused 
starting from infancy. He has just been a champion as an adult. He's a, a phenomenal musician, and he does some really great healing music as, as well as part of his repertoire. He's a keynote speaker. He's an educator of his own right on the topic. Um, he's just a wonderful guy. Michael, welcome back to SOS. Hi, folks. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with what you just said. Thank you. Hi. Hi, everyone. Well, I am overwhelmed with the, the, the person that you are, and the more I get to know you over the months, Michael, it, I am just amazed. The, the, the sustenance of spirit, for there is no better word for it, the sustenance of spirit that you have and you carry with you in your adult world after what you have faced is something that all people, no matter what they've went through in life, can certainly learn from for sure. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us again. I'm going to go straight now to one of the experts on the panel. This is going to, uh, you know, <laughs> I, the terminology child pornography is the terminology we have to use because that's, if you study it like I do and hope not to be red flagged by the feds for doing so, uh, you're, you're going to be looking things up to do a child porn. It really is abuse imagery. These are crime scene photos. But Frederick Lane, who is a regular panelist here, he was also on my regular show last night, and we kind of went deep into the whole sex industry, the Internet sex industry thing, including with regards to children last night. And I'll, I'll link uh, in, in the chat room, I'll link last night's show for those that are interested. Frederick Lane, like I said, is a regular guest here. He is an expert in cybercrime forensics an expert in pornography, particularly child pornography. He's also an author, has written many, many books, including books to do with educator abuse within schools, like Cyber Traps for Educators. Uh, Fred, thank you so, so much for coming back again. I love having you. Sherry, it's a real privilege to participate. Thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Um, and it's funny, you know, I sit here and I'm like looking through my numbers and, and trying to, because there's all kinds of phone numbers lit up in the in the call queue and i got to pick each one of you out and make sure I'm bringing the right person on. I'm going to go straight over to Michelle Forbes. This is her second time on the panel. Michelle Forbes is a former legal assistant. She currently runs a daycare. She is uh, a survivor also of sexual abuse uh, by a teacher. And I believe, and she can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that her actual abuse started with this teacher when she was 14 years old. And if you listened last month to the panel, you know that that went after she actually finished school and she lived with this teacher for some years. Michelle, thank you so, so much for coming back to Sickness of Silence. Hello, Sherry. Thanks for having me back. Hello, everybody. Hey, <laughs> Michelle. Good to have you. <laughs> Well, Michelle, I, I hope that you and you and Fred, uh, as well as Andrew Clemens, a, a former panelist who will be back again from KidSafe Foundation, I hope that you guys kind of network, and that's one of the points in doing this, whether you're listening or you're on the panel, is that we can figure out how we can help each other in, because we all have the same goal. So I think that there's, especially dealing with the educators, uh, as you guys do, that's really great. I'm going to jump on over to bring the next panelist in, and she is new to the SOS mic. I found Tina just recently. Her her name, I hope I don't slaughter her name. I It's a Scottish last name. Her name is Tina McCulloch, I believe. And she's a doll maker. She makes collector's dolls. They're quite beautiful to most people. To some people, they find them a little creepy because they are so very, very realistic. Um, but there is a market for these dolls in the regular world. But unbeknownst to Tina... And until she started getting, you know, hit by all of this, 
is there's obviously a market for these sorts of very realistic children-styled uh, dolls in the pedophile market uh, because there is a company called Trotla, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, that specifically makes child dolls for pedophilia, uh, allegedly with the hope of stopping uh, them from actually harming a child. Whether they help stop harm a child or they make it to the point where they just need the real thing, we'll talk about that on the show. But Tina's case is a little bit different because her dolls have nothing to do with that. And if you just do a, a search, whether you're looking for dolls or if you're <coughs> looking for something on what we're talking tonight, you're going to find her as I did. And, and her story just broke my heart. Tina, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Sherry. And it's McCulloch that you did fairly well. So you got not, not too bad. <laughs> not too bad. But, you know, there's, there's something else besides just talking about your dolls. There's something else that, that that is worth mentioning to the listening audience here, and that is that you have two master's degrees. One is in behavioral science and the other is social work. You've also been a, a foster parent to children that are suffering a lot of the types of trauma that we're going to be discussing tonight. So I think that you, as as we discussed previously, uh, before the show, I think that you are going to be able to interject and speak on lots of things here tonight, and everybody's kind of little piece of this is really important to this puzzle, so truly, I really appreciate you. Tina, I'm going to jump over and bring on our final panelist tonight, and this final panelist, I I, I am just thrilled uh, to have connected with her, uh, as, uh, I, I say friend loosely, but somebody that follows me on Twitter has talked to me about Tucker's helping fight child trafficking and human trafficking in general. And I was fascinated, and I started searching into it, and I came I came across Tucker's Against Trafficking. And Lynn Thompson, who is the actual founder of that, and, and her daughters are more than highly involved in uh, this nonprofit, this 501c3 nonprofit organization that is highly sponsored, obviously, within the trucking industry, Peterbilt and all that sort of stuff. But she herself is uh, she's, she's a PR specialist. And if you go to the Truckers Against Trafficking site, which is being posted right now, and, and I'll link it up again here in a minute, and she can give you the, I, I think it's .com, um, but it, it's pretty amazing what they've accomplished thus far. So, Lynn, thank you for coming on. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. And um, it's a little bit intimidating with this kind of a panel. You guys are... Uh, amazing people, and uh, I'm over here in trafficking, um, not an expert in child abuse, but um, it's a thrill to be here with you and, and to be able to learn more. Well, you know, Lynn, I, I don't want, I, I want the listener to know that we are all, and, and maybe maybe it's perceived I have an ego because I'm the host of the show, but we are all very humble in what our piece is in this. And and you've done such amazing things, Lynn. And what I want to do is I want to jump first into child trafficking. When we get a little uh, further into the show, in the, in the latter half of the show, we're going to talk about human trafficking in general because it's not just kids. But I'm right. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the mic to you for a minute, Lynn. And if I got any of your credentials or something I missed wrong, please do fill in the audience. But I, I want you to kind of address child trafficking. And so the listener knows, Lynn started doing a ministry a while back in about 2009 is when she started doing this because trafficking, human trafficking was part of what she was bringing awareness to, but she saw a real need here and she was smart 
truckers are the eyes and ears on the road. So, Lynn, can you tell us a little bit about those numbers? Sure. Um, we actually started the ministry, my four daughters and a friend and I started a ministry called Chapter 61 Ministries in 2007. In 2009, we heard a speaker talk about um, helping people at a local gas station to uh, learn more about the signs of human trafficking and what to do if they saw it. Because lots of traffickers are continually moving their victims all over the United States so that they can't be found, so that they are never really cognizant of where they are. And so um, when I heard the speaker talk about that, I thought back to my own childhood. My parents owned a small motel in El Paso, Texas, and truckers were one of our uh, main customer bases. And so in 2009, I thought, you know what, if we could mobilize 7 million people in, a, in an industry that large across the United States, they would really play a critical role in helping to fight human trafficking. It's really hard to put numbers on human trafficking because oftentimes police forces are not trained up on human trafficking across the United States, so they might pick up someone and charge them with prostitution because they don't understand that this person is being prostituted. And so, um, so, and then those cases might be might be tried for child abuse or child exploitation or child molestation rather than human trafficking because you don't have a prosecutor who is trained to uh, prosecute human trafficking cases. So it's really hard to put those numbers on. But if I were to uh, go to a particular database organization that we use and they were to give me a year's worth of data on any state in the union for unique back page ads just for uh, prostituted kids or prostituted um, people, those ads for each state would be between 150 and 250,000 per year per state. That is a huge number, and that's just talking about um, on the Internet. Then you have um, trafficking that's taking place where um, kids and adults are being sold all over the United States, and it's not on the Internet. So it's just it's a huge, huge crime. It, it is a huge crime. And i got, and I got to share with you, because you and I haven't been able to speak about this, Lynn, um, but Fred, Frederick Lane was on my show last night, and he's, he's a regular panelist here. And we were talking about you after you and I connected, and he, he was very happy uh, that I was bringing you on, and I'm going to bounce it over to him, because he told me that child trafficking uh, in the United States and elsewhere, but child, child trafficking is one of the biggest, uh, the sources of child pornography. Fred, can you address that? Sure, absolutely. Sure. Oh, and I'm sorry, you... Fred, Fred, I'm sorry, if you can pause. Yes. To the listeners, I do know, I just want to let the listeners know we are aware that we are experiencing some weird static feedback, and we're going to try to fix that and address that. But so the listeners know, all of us are in different places, and we're doing this remotely, and some of us are in very rural places using, you know, signals that are not quite... As strong, so bear with any sound issues because the the topic and the the show is very important. Fred, go ahead. Sure, um, Sherry. I think that your your summary of it is absolutely correct. That there's a very tight connection between the child trafficking phenomenon 
and the uh, increase in the amount of child pornography that is available online. And obviously the Internet is a foundational factor in both of those things. I mean, you just heard Lynn talking about the role of Backpage.com, uh, Craigslist before they got rid of some of their more egregious advertisements was a big part of that. In the United States, obviously, you're feeding into these secret networks of collectors. Uh, the FBI is very active in trying to uncover some of the stuff that's on the dark web, the hidden chat room driven uh, child pornography clubs that are out there around the world. You're seeing the quote unquote demand for these kinds of visual materials uh, tied into the child trafficking uh, phenomenon in a couple of different ways. Obviously, you've got people who are abusing kids by taking their photos, but then also the flip side of it, using the child pornography itself as a lure for uh, victims of, of trafficking, as a, as a way of grooming them into uh, a vulnerable situation, and then they get carried across national lines or even international lines. Um, Lynn, I'm going to go right back to yes. Lynn, and then I'm going to, you know, still be talking about the other panelists. Um, and I mean, bringing them in on this, but I, I really want to kind of zero in on this for a minute. Lynn, with with child trafficking, I know that typically the, the, the general age is about 11, 12 years old to 14 for children. And But I, I'm curious, in the research that you've done, how many, like, infants and toddlers are being trafficked for sex purposes? Uh, again, it would be not really hard to quantify. Yeah, it's, not, it, it's impossible to quantify that, but what I can tell you is that 65 to 95% of children who are exploited and prostituted were sexually abused as children. Sexually abused children are extremely vulnerable to traffickers. They are able to, if you talk to traffickers, they'll tell you that they can look at a playground and they can pick out exactly who they can get and how they can get them, what manipulative means, what things they need to say. And and they do a, a major grooming process where sometimes with a child that it'll, it'll take several months, sometimes they can, they'll even go with a teenager up to a year, um, just grooming them, getting them ready before they... Uh, spring the trap and and um, and they begin to traffic them. Um, stories like a 11 year old girl who uh, came from a home where her mother was alcoholic. She was not sexually abused, but she wanted a Barbie doll. Her mom wouldn't pay for it. She uh, they were pretty well off. She took a train into Manhattan, got lost in um, New York looking for FAO shorts, and ended up uh, somebody decided he was going to help her and she was uh, out on the uh, street being trafficked that night. So those Lynn, kind of things go ahead. take place. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Lynn, you pointed out something that cannot be stressed enough to the audience. The first roundtable panel I did in November was right. It was ironic that, you know, here I had prepared all this stuff, and all of a sudden, you know, Jared Fogel, the subway dude, and, and, and all of that going on hit the news in a big way. And in the phone calls between him and the reporter that he was grooming himself as his girlfriend, he was telling her how to choose a child, and he was telling her, look for the one that's from the broken home. Look for the one that's 
quiet or, you know, all of those different things. So the same stands for not just trafficking because the person that actually snatches that child, trafficking, is not necessarily the person that's going to do any abuse on the child. They're, they're making money. This is a job for them. They may or may not abuse them, but they're looking for specific traits the same way that, that pedophiles and child molesters um, are, are looking for, for certain traits. I'm going to go right over to Michelle. Michelle, uh, her, her situation, as I said in the opening, was with a teacher at school. Michelle, talk about grooming for a minute. Mine was a professional groomer. <laughs> he uh, started with, you know, um, I didn't make the cheerleading squad my freshman year, so that was an opening for him to ask me if I wanted to do secretarial duties for him. He made me feel very special and, you know, told me how pretty I was all the time and what great legs I had and offered to, you know, let me come to his office whenever I needed a confidant. And he just kept that up for probably about a year, isolating me, you know, every day at lunch. Um, And finally, once he had groomed me for long enough, he felt like he could you know, move it further into something sexual. I was 15. And, and you were, you were 14, sexual. correct? You were 14 years I was, old? I was 14 when the when the grooming started. I was 15 the first okay. time he did something sexual to me. Right. Okay, so, Sue, you were 8 years old, I believe, if I'm correct, uh, when yes. a neighbor started grooming you. Can you talk on the grooming process with the neighbor real quick? Yeah. Um, I was kind of uh, an isolated kid, Um even though I had a big family, I was the youngest, and we had a lot of teenagers around that kind of um, left me out. But um, he preyed upon all of that, you know, um, not just for an 8-year-old. It wasn't so much about pretty. It was about it was about smart. It was about listening to you. It was like, oh, you're so creative and, and, and all these things. And it went on for, oh, probably about, a month or so before, you know, this, the touching started and and those kind of things started. Um, so, yeah, I do know a lot about the grooming part of it and and how, how uh, just, it, how it starts so small and so innocuous and how quickly it can go into the abuse. Okay, so I want to go over to Michael uh, now because, Michael, your abuse started in infancy, so you didn't have that same kind of grooming process that that we're talking about. Now, it doesn't mean that abusers in in latter years of your childhood didn't do some grooming of their own, but your family, because of the involvement that they had within the church and pedophile rings and stuff like that, it was a given that you were fodder for them. So, Michael, can can you speak on anything that you experienced with regards to actually grooming? Um, no, I just think I was, you know, human chattel to be, uh, pawned off. I didn't, there was no grooming. It was just, here's the situation. You're going to do what we've told you to do. And, uh, no, um, nope. Yeah, that, that's the thing. And that's why I said everybody has a unique voice in this and, and everything Every experience is different, not just with the panelists. And not every panelist here tonight is a survivor, uh, like myself and Sue and, and, and Michael and Michelle. You know, uh, Fred and Lynn and, and Tina, to my knowledge, are not survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And, um, 
but their their input is still valid because they are a part of creating solutions. And so I want to jump over real quick and this to, to Tina because Tina, having had foster kids in her home that had experienced these sorts of traumas, Tina, what was your experience with with you know helping in the healing process of these kids and showing them love, is, especially while you're making children's falls and all of that and dealing with what you're dealing with on the outside of that? And we will get into that deeply. But Tina, did you did did any of the children that you fostered did they did they talk about some of these things? And obviously, I don't want you to disclose names and, and you know intricacies. But go ahead. Um, the first child we ever had was 15 years old, and she had been um, raped by her father on a daily basis almost from the time she was about nine. And this had been going all that all that time from nine to 15. When we got her, um, she was a mess, of course, and had a lot of behaviors that we didn't understand. That's actually why my husband and I went on and got our master's in, in behavioral science because um, we didn't know how to help her. The foster care system gives you some support, but really does not prepare you for the extent of the behaviors that you're seeing. Um, it was heartbreaking. I mean, it was totally heartbreaking because how could you do this to a child and your own child? Yeah, for, I mean, seriously. And, you, you know, with with your studies that you've done, with, with the degrees that you have, how how even if you had never fostered a child, Tina, what, and even if you've never experienced this personally in your life, yourself, or someone you know and love, what did your training in, in the behavioral sciences, what, what did that show you about human nature in general, whether it has to do with a pedophile or, or the victim or somebody that's completely detached from all of this? How do we bring that all together for any kind of an effective solution from the the mentality standpoint of it? And you may or may not be able to answer that, not to put you on the spot, but if anybody can, it might be you. <laughs> I would say from all of it um, that it's, it's very damaging, and it, it it has lifelong lasting effects. And you can um, you can reach a child, get to them, put them through therapy, you know, remove the abuser, whatever it takes. But it has very long long reaching effects, and um, affects their relationships. It affects their, the the way they live their lives. Um, you know, the jobs they hold, just every aspect of, of their lives, their own child rearing. You know, so. It's very devastating because it goes on and and it 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 has it has an impact that um that's just so damaging to that child for the rest of their life and uh, how to well you know that that's, that's i i was gonna say there there's a new study that just came out that I posted on sickness of silence uh facebook fan page um and i'll I'll relink that after the show. Uh, because I don't want to get distracted by it right now and trying to search it up. But there was a new study that just came out this week, and it was really talking about the psychological damage of trauma uh, in children, and, and 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 a brand new study. And it was it was really great because it it, it actually spoke on things a little more fluently that address the modern world. And I think that that's one of the reasons that Fred and I have been able to connect so well on this topic is that because he's a cyber crime forensics guy, cyber forensics, we're talking computer technology and technology in general, which is speaking my language. And and I think that when we're looking at solutions to problems, because we're looking at problems that are so far 
so long, you know, brewing that we're not taking technology into the picture and how to effectively create some sort of change. So I have a two-part question for Lynn and Fred, and that is, first, Lynn, from your perspective with Truckers Against Trafficking, in the United States, okay, let's talk in the United States specifically right now for this, about how many children are trafficked per year, Lynn, in Um, the United States? In the United States, while the numbers, again, are hard to come by based on who how they prosecute cases, they have tried to quantify that somewhere between a hundred to three hundred thousand um, people are trafficked every year, generally children. Okay. So you said about 100,000. So let me let the listener know that every single day at least 116,000 web searches for child pornography happen online. Fred, does that number ring true to you? Or is it yeah, bigger? if anything. On, honestly, Sherry, I would, estimate, I, I would say that that seems low to me. Yeah, Same for me and anything I've ever read Say that again. Yeah, this is Michael. I would say what I would echo what Fred said. Anything that I've ever read or come across, I think that figure is low. Yeah, sadly. I, I think the figure is low because I think a lot of times what happens is there's so many different people dabbling and surveying and and that sort of thing, and and everybody with good intent. The problem is is because of this topic, having really true blue ironclad numbers that anybody can spout off are pretty much next to uh, non-existent. Um, But I like to take the figures that we have at hand, like Lynn presented. So, Fred, based on that kind of a figure, based on the the Internet searches for child porn and what Lynn said about the child trafficking and stuff, and what you had said earlier with regards to child trafficking being one of the biggest contributors to child pornography – if we wiped out child por- child trafficking, if we could somehow wipe out child trafficking in the United States, what kind of a percentage cut would happen with child pornography just from the U.S.? <laughs> that, Sherry, that's a really fascinating question. It's a little bit well. Sexy, you know me. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. And and I would I would I'm just going to lay out kind of a an expert based. Um, guesstimate, you know, so don't take this to the bank, but I would guess that if you could effectively eliminate child trafficking in the United States, you would make a sadly small dent in the availability of child pornography. And there's a bunch of different reasons for that. Number one, none of the content that is out there now goes away because of digitization. And as a matter of fact, you've got older material reappearing because people can now scan it or photograph it. A lot of the material that is produced is produced uh, within families. So technically the children are not being trafficked, but they are being sexually abused and sexually exploited. Actually, just as an aside, one of my initiatives this year is to develop a draft bill for the crime of electronic sexual assault, which would involve any non-consensual 
uh, photograph or, or moving image of an individual, uh, which would get to the, you know, uh, voyeurism and so on and so forth. I think there's a real need for that at the federal level. Then, as an additional point, you've got all of these foreign sources of child pornography. You do have regions of the world, and I don't want to get all jingoistic and, and American-centric about this, but you do have portions of the world where there are very differing attitudes towards childhood, towards sexual relations, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you have these absolutely horrifying cases of these young girls dying as part of an arranged marriage in the Middle East or obviously the just the, the unfathomable tragedy of Boko Haram or uh, what ISIS is doing. I mean, the the, the state of... of protection for for female children is just devastating so putting aside that i mean there's a lot of material that an effective ban on trafficking in the united states simply would not reach so the upshot is if you were able to make a dent of more than five percent i'd be stunned well you know five <laughs> percent yeah, exactly. I mean, and and that seems like a a small, significant percentage. But when you tally up how many people five percent is out of that whole big picture, it's a lot. And I'm, I am willing. Don't, I'm sure don't misunderstand me. <laughs> sure, sure. And if I can just jump in, let let me be absolutely clear. You know, let's not say that five percent is not a victory if, in fact, you're preventing children from being trafficked. So there's. There's an there's an unmistakable positive good there, right? And then you can say, as the as the frosting on the cake, we're going to minimize or we're going to cut down the percentage of of child pornography out there. That is fabulous. There's no there's no downside to that. It's just that getting rid of trafficking is not going to get rid of child pornography. Well, I would have to agree. I think we need to go to the root cause of where this is all coming from. Uh, you know, stop trafficking as best you can. But, Donna, we have to go when this first starts because there's always going to be the flow of victims and the perpetrators until society right. really wants to tackle this, how right. abuse and I, all you know, its Michael, forms. Michael, I, I, I completely agree with you, Michael, and I think that that – we are go- well. We are, I don't think we are for, for sure going to have a conversation tonight about some very real things uh, that are highly distasteful for many, if not most, that can potentially be done at this point with technology. But before we go into that, I, I want to kind of switch gears for a minute. And I want to go over to Tina McCulloch right now because I, I want, and I've asked her to have a, a, a thick skin because she has been bombarded. This woman makes these collector dolls that are extremely real-life looking, okay? Um, I mean extremely. Some of them are just like freaky, so how real they look. And... I would have never found this woman or her dolls had I not been researching for SOS and researching for last night's Challenging the Rhetoric show and talking about sex dolls. And I've been researching prolifically about Trotla out of Japan and these dolls that they make that are way more realistic even than Tina's that are anatomically correct even. They allegedly have zero kind of opening orifices. 
according to the owner and maker of those, uh, because he says he, he he's on on tape for saying that. Well, no, you don't do that to children. Okay. Well, because I experienced it, and I think that Michael could probably speak on this to the extent that I can, because I was three and he was, you know, an infant. So I think that we have this weird thing from the ages of how this works. But you know, uh, these dolls that are out there are crazy. And this poor woman, Tina, that's on on, on the show, her heart is in the right place. And 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 I want to let the listener know, and Tina, forgive me, but Tina, about eight years after beginning this process of making these collector dolls, actually lost her son in a car accident. And, um, you know, there's a tribute to her son and and that loss on her page. And I don't know, and she's probably going to answer this, because I want to really get deep into these dolls and the technology behind it. Um, But So please, I, I want everybody to have kid gloves with her. She has been... Bombarded, as I said, by pedophiles that want to buy her dolls. Tina, um, I, I really appreciate if you can chime in a little bit specifically about, and we need to be brief, but I want you to talk about um, how you came to make these dolls, how you make the dolls, and then I want to talk about customizing the dolls. Okay. Um, well, I come from a long line of of doll collectors, my my mother collected, my grandmother collected, so it was kind of in my in my genes. Um, it was something my mom and I did together. We actually started this business together, and it was a way of of um, kind of feeding my my collection myself, but also bringing in a little bit of money. We we um, homeschooled our son, and it was a way I could be kind of a stay at home mom and bring in a little money too. Um, and it was something I really enjoyed. We 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 did it as a family. We actually hit doll shows together. Uh, my son did not necessarily appreciate the dolls being a boy, but um, I would point to the tennis shoes on his feet and say, "See those? The the dolls pay for those, so appreciate the dolls." <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> the dolls have a lot of purposes. I I I literally have mailed them all over the world. I have customers all over the world. I get I get um, orders from police and fire departments. They use them as training dolls for um, like car seat safety programs, which is really cool um, because kids can relate to you know a doll that actually kind of looks like them. So so they can customize them. I mean, they use them in programs where they have like Hispanic kids or African American kids, and and there are actually are not a lot of toddler dolls that are ethnic, and I. I'm finding more and more that that's that's the case. So people appreciate being able to customize them according to the group that they're working with. So um, I also have sold several to movies. They use them as stand-ins for toddlers in movies because, lo and behold, toddlers do not hold still and do what you want them to do in a movie. So, <laughs> well, you, one, of your dolls, one of your dolls, Tina, one of your dolls, and, and, and I apologize for listeners. I know we're still having static feedback. Um, one of your dolls, Tina, was actually used in one of Adam Sandler's movies. Is that correct? Right. It's been grown up. That, that is how realistic yeah. your dolls are. Yeah, there was a, the little boy, the toddler, that's the African-American toddler that's in that movie. Um, they need to stand in for him because he was a live wire. So um, they used my doll to stand in for that little boy in, in that movie. Well, when did you first discover? How long had you been doing this and been online that you just that you discovered that 
there was a pedophilic market for these, and they started bombarding you. And, and I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. I really don't. I, I'm yeah. highly disturbed, and I'm so glad I found you. I feel bad for you. Um, I've been doing this about 16 years, and I've had a website for probably 15 of that. Um, my website is such that I can go in and check site stats and see what people are putting in for, for search words, keywords. And I noticed this probably for a few years into it that I would get every once in a while someone would, would put in a you know, child sex doll or something like this. So I started trying to change my, my wording, um, and I would say, choose your doll's gender instead of the word sex, thinking that would help. It didn't help. <laughs> um, it just it gradually, it just got worse and worse. It got to the point where um, I just about could not stand to look at my my <laughs> my biceps because I felt like I needed to take a shower after I was done looking at them. Um, I tried to You know, Tina, I, I was going to say, I completely understand that because I found you on a fluke because I was doing research on the child sex dolls. Now, I, I want to share with you, Tina, because I didn't know this until last night, but Frederick Lane, doing show prep for last night's show, actually came across you for the same reasons that I did because he was researching the sex dolls. And, um, I mean, there's no question to somebody that's been through this and is so deep in the ugly world of knowing all this stuff that that we can look at this, you know, kind of subjectively and say, yes, we understand doll collectors and and, and the uh, movies and all of that, and this is wonderful and they're great. But also, we can also see how they came up and, and I were talking that there's a lot of people that find it just creepy how realistic they're looking they are. Fred, can you talk about how you found uh, Tina and her dolls? Well, it, I, I think, Sherry, that you've summarized it perfectly. I mean, it, that when you start to look at um, the community that exists online for for people who are doll collectors and, and people who uh, maybe fetishize dolls, um, that that there's a limited number of of websites that would come up, and and certainly Tina's was one of them. Um, we obviously were looking at this in the context of of preparing for a discussion vis a vis the Trotla dolls, um, and and you right. had alluded to that as well. Um, you know, I think that from the research that I did, and I'm in no way an expert on this particular subset of the internet. But the, you know, there's clearly a group of people for whom these dolls fill an emotional need, whether or not there's any kind of physical manifestation. Um, there's definitely an emotional attachment, and the more realistic that they are, um, the the greater that that attachment can be. And obviously, I think that's one of the compelling things about Tina's dolls uh, is that they are so realistic, uh, that it's very easy for people to project onto those dolls what they want. Well, it is. It, it is, Fred. And, and, and are we in such a society, because we talk about political correctness all the time on challenging the rhetoric, right? And, and, and is there no place in the world for these dolls that are not meant to be child sex dolls? I, I think there is. So, oh, again, course, when I talk about... There is. Right. Right. So when I talk about bringing people together on this panel and outside of this panel on this issue, Fred, I think that maybe you and Tina can kind of maybe talk together outside of this show and figure out some solutions for Tina 
so A, she's not re- red flagged on any cybercrime site as selling sex dolls, child sex dolls at that, but also maybe, um, and maybe that's not possible, but I, I think that the two of you need to talk. And, and I think that maybe you can help her with maybe her presentation on her website so it's not so prolific in the searches. And I'm not quite sure how that will work because it is dolls that look like children. But I want to jump from that. Uh, and, and Tina, did you, did you want to say something? I'm sorry, before I jump anywhere else, Tina, did you have something that you want to say uh, with response to what Fred or I just said? Well, I think people, unfortunately, I think people are, like you said, I, I, people are going to project what they want onto these. Um, I've tried doing it all different ways. I've tried listing that I would list IP addresses, which I can I can access, like I said, through my site staff. Um, it doesn't make any difference. I, I've tried everything, and it just seems like they they find me. All I can do is I is actually try to kind of <laughs> screen who I sell my dolls to. That's not always the easiest thing in the world. I always ask if it's a male. You know, if it's for your daughter, if it's for your granddaughter, so forth. Um, generally, they're pretty quick to tell me if yes, you know, it's for so and so, and then I feel a little better about it. Um, I actually turned somebody down yesterday that. That's what I was going to say. You just had a situation. Yeah. She, she, he actually came out and said, you know, no, this is for me. For, I want to be able to play this, to play with this doll and pose it. And I just had, I just had red flags, and I said, you know, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I don't do those kinds of dolls anymore, so I don't, you know, that's the size that he was wanting, basically. It was very specific. And I said, sorry, I don't do that size anymore. And I cut him off, and that was it. Because he had he'd been pestering me for mm, probably a couple weeks off and on. And um, the, the lesson is I can just ignore them. Essentially, if I get the red flags going up in my head, I can just ignore them. So, you know, it's just something that um, – and, and honestly, my biggest fear is that someday they're going to raid a pedophile's house and find one of my dolls. And it just, just – the feel that I have somehow contributed to that makes me feel terrible. Well, you know, Tina, let me just tell you that I have an, I have I have three adult children, two of which have children. I have two grandbabies and um it's kind of a rule because I have such a huge social media following that I don't like tag my children and my grandbabies. I don't post pictures of my grandbabies. I think maybe a total of three pictures I've posted in many, many years and those were with permission, like at the birth of my new granddaughter or something like that. But because as Fred can attest to, but and, and we're not going to go to Fred because I want I want to jump over to Sue and then Michael and then Lynn, um, and and then and kind of in that order because I, I want to ask everybody a question here with regards to child sex dolls and sex dolls, okay? Because I just recently wrote an article which is how I came across Tina to begin with, and that was, is your face on a sex doll? There is no oversight in these companies. I've spoken to Real Doll, uh, this Creations LLC, and I, I've, I've, I've done copious amounts of research, as has Fred. I've spoken to Mark Zaid, a, a regular guest on my show, who is the national security attorney for the United States. The thing is, is that we have certain rights. Okay, we have we have certain rights to our privacy, but when it comes to our name and our likeness, uh, whether we're a celebrity or not. Most of those laws apply to advertising and promotion. And what I have discovered just in the last few days is that pretty much any of these companies, and there are so many of these companies for kid dolls and and adult dolls alike, 
they could, in fact, I mean, some of these dolls, some of these dolls are going for $60,000 or more, and they could if they wanted to, and maybe they are. I, I mean, I would I would imagine, I, I don't want to make any accusation, but I would imagine that they are for the very rich I'm people in the world that are spending even more than $60,000, okay, and putting custom faces on. And when I was doing my searches about custom dolls is how I came across Tina. Tina, you, you were for a time doing kind of custom faces, Um so I want to ask you if you don't mind sharing how you did that um, so that we can go then to Michael and Sue and then forward on kind of opinions on how that all works because, you know, we can sue people, but we don't have a legal right necessarily to win that lawsuit. Well, I use um, pre, pre-done molds. I mean, they're already they're, – I don't mold the face. They're, they're pre-done mold and then – um, basically, you can customize it to what you want, eyes, hair, skin color, um, details, things like that. So, And I've kind of streamlined that over the years. I just, now I just... What, I'm sorry, what medium, what medium, I'm sorry, what medium are the dolls, oh, they're, they're faces, fine. and bodies? They're vinyl, they're vinyl okay. and um, they're predominantly vinyl, and then they have like a cloth mid-body that, um, and they have an armature in them so that they can be posed um, Um, I'm not sure if we lost you, Tina, um, I, but you cut out. I just want to let the listener know that Tina's dolls, yes, they're posable, but please don't forget that many of Tina's dolls have been in television and, and, and movies, and so they, they're meant to be posable as well. Uh, Tina, are you still with us, or did I, or did you drop? Yeah. No, no, I'm okay. here. It's kind of so, correctly, but I'm here. Is what I said correct about being posable? Because uh, to a lot of people listening without, like, thinking about it, are like, oh, oh, you know. Yes, to a degree. I mean, they, they, um, they're dolls. <laughs> they're not going to have a human skeleton, so they're, they're not going to work exactly the same way. But to a degree, yes, they are. They can hold things, and, and their arms and legs can be posed in different poses. So. Okay, so on that note, I have Frederick Lane for about 15 minutes more. He's only with us for an hour tonight. I, I want to jump over to Sue. Uh, who's been relatively quiet, uh, and I would just just your opinion, Sue and and Tina. No, no harm, no foul. I just want to hear people who uh, Sue and and Michael, particularly, and and Michelle, their opinion as somebody who has been sexually abused, and kind of what their thoughts are on your dolls, if if you don't mind. Uh, so, Sue. Yeah, you know when I when I think of this, um, I mean. It, it's just a, such a long list of questions that go through my mind. Um, are these done from photographs? Or are these, and can they lift photographs? I mean, we've all posted pictures of ourselves. Um, I mean, it's all public. That's all public information. Um, so, you know, how much do you start to question, you know, what what's happening to your pictures that you post on Facebook or, or whatever, um, but when you start to think about it, what if what if it's my kid? You know, what if this doll is being created with my kid's face to some pedophile's specifications with a little soccer uniform, and and this is what they're using them for? Um, is it going to come down to just a matter of uh, copyright infringement if you lift a picture that's not yours and use it on one of these dolls? And how many dolls are going to be created before you even find out about it? Um, well, 
So are we going to be able to keep up with, on on legal terms, are we going to be able to keep up with being able to go after them? Well, you know what, Sue? I, I, I completely agree with you because as as I was doing my research, it did not seem that there was any real accountability kind of across the board for the most part. It seemed like if I had enough money with any company and I wanted to have a doll, whether it was a child doll or an adult doll, um, made with a specific image. And now let me let me just say this to the listener, and then I'm going to go straight to Fred and then Michael. Sorry, Michael, but Fred's going to leave us, so I want to get a final thought from him on this specific topic and Trotla and, and, and penis dolls and kind of how that coalesces together. But the reality is, is that there are some people, I mean, there's little action figures that you can have. I, I wrote the article. It's on sicknessofsilence.com, sicknessofsilence.org. You can see it. Um, that you can send in photos and they'll make an action figure. I mean, with a 3D printed action figure. Now, I'm not seeing a stopgap there. Can I just send that in for anybody I want? And if so, then these companies need to have some other assurance to the public that what they're doing is not pedophilic. Fred, can you give us a final thought on the whole child sex dolls and talk on Trotla? And um, please plug your book, and um, and thank you for coming. Well, certainly a pleasure to be here as always, Sherry. Look, the, the last thought I'd leave you with is that this area of misappropriation of image is really complicated, and we need to have much better rules and regulations about it. Uh, there's starting to be some laws with respect to uh, inappropriate images that are misused, but I think the concern that everyone has raised about the potential threat that a photo on your Facebook feed could wind up being used in this way is, in fact, very real. I'm currently working on a new um, book, uh, the Cybertraps book, uh, Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads, which will be out later this spring. And one of the things that I'm really arguing for is that parents should wait as long as possible before posting any images of their kids, partly because of this risk, but also partly to give kids the ability to define themselves online rather than stepping into something that has existed for 10 or 12 or 15 years. So I think that that's very important. The, well, the wait, Fred, privacy... Fred? Yes. Fred, wait. Before before you finish yes. that, I have to address what you said about your new book, okay, for expectant mothers and stuff and new parents. Yes. Because you and I have discussed this a few months back. There was a news story that came out, and it was talking about, okay, I, I had baby, moder, baby monitors for, for my babies, okay, and it was kind of rudimentary at the time. They have baby monitors now that are video, and there was a story out several months ago about that they have, in fact, actually been hacked. They've been oh, of course. There are pedophiles watching your baby monitors of your infant children, and Michael can, he, even though he don't remember infancy per se, he can talk to you what that means. But go ahead and finish your thought, Fred. Well, yeah, look, and, and just to be clear, Sherry, not everybody who does that is, in fact, a pedophile. Some of them are just hackers, and some of them are just people trying to freak out the parents. But it's obviously a real risk. The the closing thought that I'll leave you with is that, you know, if there's any kind of commercial appropriation of someone's image, that is almost universally prohibited by law. It's 
much more challenging if it's not for commercial benefit, just for someone's own personal use. There you might get into some kind of invasion of privacy or infliction of emotional distress or something like that. But those laws vary a great deal from state to state. So it's very, very hard to prosecute a case, even if you found out about it. So, you know, this is a really, really difficult area of the law. You know, I think that Tina has done exactly the right thing by saying, you know, I'm just not going to do that anymore because it really it, it raises some very challenging questions about whether or not the individual submitting the image has the right to that image. And, you know, then, of course, to what purpose is that doll being put? So I think that, you know, the 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 thing about all of this stuff is that we are just beginning to really appreciate all of the psychological aspects of sexuality. And one of the things about the Internet is that it is allowing the coalescing of communities much more easily than ever happened before. When I was a kid, you know, there probably would not have been a doll lover's community, but now the internet makes it possible for them not only to find each other, but then to find manufacturers. So the internet is this amazing source of information that raises some really profound questions about the nature, you know, about human nature and human sexuality. And these are the things that we need to sort out. And with that, I will leave you all. <laughs> so ahead, I was just going to say, Fred, that there there is no doubt that somebody that is a a suffering pedophile, okay, and and I, I'm really sorry you're going to miss the latter half of this conversation because we're going to go kind of deep in that in a medical way, but I, I think that there's no doubt that somebody that is a a true blue pedophile or a hebophile or a subophile or any of those under the minors that they experience a certain sort of loneliness, and we were talking about lonely people yes. in general with porn. And there are certain people that are far from lonely that just enjoy their porn, okay? But there is a lonely aspect that has to come with this psychological and, in my opinion, uh, physiological problem with, with pedophiles particularly. Fred, thank you so, so much. Uh, did you you want to plug nope. an upcoming book or... <laughs> no, just folks can go to my website, fredericlane.com. Everything is there. I really love talking with you guys. I look forward to next month. Yes, next month. April 7th, first Thursday is every month. Fred will be back. He has a regular panelist here. Thank you, Fred, so much. I'm going to go straight in real quickly to uh, the, the, the latest headlines, child sexual abuse headlines over the past month. First and foremost, let me say major kudos to Spotlight. Spotlight just won an Oscar. I could care less about Hollywood and the entertainment industry in general, but I was very much watching and and very much paying attention and and very much praying and hoping that it would get the kudos that it deserves. That movie, it could have gone deeper. There's no question there. But that movie did something, and we have an opportunity, all of us on this panel, all of us listening, everybody listening to a download, and everybody we share with. We have an opportunity to capitalize on this particular attention right now. And, yes, it's about the Vatican and, 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 and all those churches. And so I want to tell everybody about a website. There's a website that is really, really cool. It's called TakePart.com. And if you go to TakePart.com forward slash spotlight, not only is uh, information about the movie itself there, but there is a, a, a map that's worldwide reporting on the Catholic Church sexual abuses alone, and your mind will be blown. It is 
I mean, just just in the Boston Globe story and what what came out of that, we're talking 120,000 victims. Okay, this is something that is so deep within churches. Michael can speak on churches in general, not necessarily just the Catholic Church, but this is a problem. We go to God, we look for solace, we look for healing, but we're not looking to be abused or have our children abused, and it happens all the time, just like it happens with teachers and it happens with parents, because as I said in the opening, it's very rarely is it a stranger. So some of these headlines we're talking about, the first couple have to do with the Catholic Church. A top Vatican cardinal in Australia says that senior clergy lied about childhood sexual abuse. Well, obviously, we're seeing that roll out all over the world. In America, two Pennsylvania bishops hid hundreds of child sexual abuse cases, okay? Hid hundreds. They covered it up. They set out to cover up hundreds of these cases by more than 50 priests, okay? That's just in Pennsylvania. And so off the precinct, there has been a call for a permanent tribunal of child, child support uh, to support child sexual abuse victims. Uh, the U.K. government has called for this permanent tribunal. I highly agree with it. We need something like that here in America. I, I want to say the next headline here is there is a man who is 30 years old. He's a divorcee, a heavy equipment operator, and in half a dozen years, he became one of the most prominent citizens in this little area that he lived, and he became elected a mayor, Okay. He became elected a mayor of this town, and then he got arrested earlier this month. And he was charged with five counts of sexual abuse involving two children, ages 9 and 14, of those five counts. Again, outside of the country, in Rotherham, child sexual abuse victims, uh, they're taking the police to, to court. They're taking the police to court. And sometimes we have to do that, okay? 65 victims and not things are being done. They're taking the police to court, as well they should. There was a man jailed for sexual abuse publications, a 40-year-old in uh, Waikato, and in the Hamilton District Court, three years ago and two months, he, he got three years and two months imprisonment for exporting, importing, possessing, and distributing over 900 child sexual abuse publications using the Internet, okay? Using the Internet, over 900 child sexual abuse publications. It doesn't matter if he abused the child. Child pornography is, is crime scene imagery. It's not a victimless crime. It is in perpetuity. You can never get rid of it because of the Internet. These children that, in, in Frederick's book uh, from, from a while back when the Internet porn thing exploded, he has a book called Obscene Prophets, and, and, and in that book, you'll see how this kind of came to be with Internet pornography. And the same goes for child pornography. Things that people had in their stash before the Internet became a thing and there were scanners, well, that's how it exploded so suddenly, so rapidly, is they just went and scanned all that stuff and they had a huge business all of a sudden. It's still happening, people. There was a BC man accused of sexually abusing his children. He got granted time to appeal after an expert witness was called a fraud. Now, we know expert witnesses can be great. Expert witnesses can also be bought and paid for. And, and that's sad to say, but it's true. We talk about false memories and stuff like that, and, and I will not deny that there is a possibility that that exists. But I, I am on the record for saying that 
people do know what they know. They do remember what they remember. And if you were abused as a child, you full well know what happened to you. There were six arrested and charged with sex crimes against children in Snohomish County. Washington State Patrol's Missing and Exploited Children Task Force arrested six people during a four-day operation. And these people that were targeted were explicitly sexually exploiting children. Okay, this is, these are all recent cases. There was an Alabama man that was indicted on child pornography and sex tourism charges. Sex tourism charges, are you kidding me? In Alabama? Highly conservative state. All right, so, I mean, th- those are just some of the latest sex headlines, and then I, I, I want to get to one more. And thank you, Michelle Forbes, uh, for making sure that, the, that this was on my radar. But in Houston, there was a man who offered sex with a four-year-old, with a sedated four-year-old on Craigslist. His ad said, come sleep with daddy's little girl. Come sleep with daddy's little girl. Now, there are a lot of problems in this country, and the economy is certainly one of the biggest. It's certainly one of the biggest, and if Fred were here, he can attest to the fact with the industry because of the Internet that people are realizing that they can make all these profits. There are so many people that are so hard up do you think they would be, all of them, do you think they would be as hard up if the economy wasn't so bad? Michael, go straight to you. Okay. Well, first off, I want to I wanna say to Tina, um, I, I don't feel this is your fault that people are violating your creative art. Um, that is out of your control, uh, and I can understand that you would feel badly, but again, if I can just say to you, I don't think it's your fault. Again, I just go back to how do we prevent child abuse? So these you know, folks aren't growing up, they become pedophiles so that we stop it, we end it, and eventually all the pedophiles just pass away from old age. I, I just find it sad that human beings are using child dolls and adult dolls for their sexual gratification. So, uh, But again, I don't think that's your fault, and I'm, I'm sorry that your work is being used in that way. Uh, and Sherry, to your questions on all the other, where, where would you like me to address? Which part? Well, let, let's start with where you just left off, Michael. Because you were abused starting in infancy, okay? You don't you don't have a benchmark. I mean, I barely have a benchmark. Sue and and certainly Michelle has a better benchmark as far as the survivors on the panel tonight. But if if your abusers, if your parents had Dolls, not 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 Tina's dolls, but if they had Trotla dolls, okay, or something like that. If they actually had dolls and it stopped them from abusing you, is that a good thing? That's a hard question. Um, I realize that, and that's kind of where we're going to go for the next uh, thirty a, minutes. A, well, from, and I'm not trying to be. I, I'm, I'm not. I don't pass moral judgment. I don't know, but I just, I just think there is a disconnect. If a human being has to do that with a with a doll, so I, for, for myself, my honest answer, I think something's wrong there. There's, there's something definitely wrong. I think that needs to be addressed. And I go back to my, what I said: uh, ending childhood abuse. So, if someone else disagrees and they think a doll is okay, I I just I just think it's sad. I I don't know if wrong. I I feel the same way about. Um, Pornography, as a human being, as a guy, 
was there once upon a time seeing some things that were not exciting? Of course, but now when I learned as I got older that most folks in the pornography industry are all survivors, I don't want to watch that. So it's not that I'm taking some moralistic viewpoint that I'm against sex. I just don't want to see someone exploited. So so um, that's where I'm coming from with this. I just want to see the Don abuse end. So. Michael, I, 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 I agree with you. Um, I do. And, and I don't know that child sex dolls are anywhere near the answer. Um, I, I personally think that somebody that might acquiesce to a doll and think that they're helping themselves, I think just like any other kind of addiction or compulsion, obsession, um, paraphilia, which is, uh, uh, you know, a mental aspect of pedophilia, I think that they're going to want the real thing eventually, and I think that the dolls might actually exacerbate that. I could be wrong. I'm not an expert on it. Um, Lynn's been pretty quiet. That is what I I, 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 think, to... I think that too, Go Sherry. Ahead, I just think it would be, it would be a stopgap measure for a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, I think we might have some sort of a pause, and then, and, and personally, I think that, you know, with the internet, with technology, there is a desensitization, there is a disconnection, and I think that if people were more prone to use dolls and such, I think that that human element of actual any kind of care, any kind of care, would be far removed. And I, I personally, again, I'm no expert, but I personally think that those who spend their time with the, the child sex dolls would be more apt to have more violent abuses against children when they do act out. Now, again, I'm not an expert. I want to jump over real quick uh, to, to Lynn Thompson. Lynn, uh, truckers with trafficking, I, this is kind of a little bit outside of that element, but I've but I got to ask you, as, as a human being who's been highly involved in this sort of stuff, what do you think on this topic of child sex dolls, uh, what do you think on the topic of anything that can be done to cut down child sex trafficking and, and child sexual abuse? Well, first of all, let me tell you that any time you are selling someone else, whether it's an infant, a child, or an adult, for a profit, whether you're selling them for pornography purposes, whether you're selling them for strip clubs, whether you're selling them for uh, whatever part of the sex industry or for labor, that is a trafficking victim. I don't care what age they are. If they're commercially sexually exploited or labor exploited, they're a trafficking victim. So, And pornography has been shown to have a direct link to traffickers and to trafficking because at some point, the pornography isn't enough. You have to have the actual child. And the younger they go into pornography, the, uh, the younger the, the, the pornographic image is, the younger they decide that they, they need the actual person in order to fulfill the fantasy. Rachel Morin has, was trafficked for many years, prostituted and trafficked up in Ireland. She wrote a book called Paid For, and she talked about how perverted the entire uh, industry, sex industry, is when you have a a buyer and uh, the person who is supplying the service. And so when you get part of the sexual dysfunction we have in our, in our 
country today is directly linked to pornography because the more pornography you use, the more uh, you are unable to actually have a fulfilling, real relationship with someone else because it goes more and more into fantasy and more and more into what you think it should be. So I, I think the, the, the dolls themselves are not going to stop child sexual abuse. They're, maybe they're going to use it for a second, but for a little bit, but not for long, because then they're going to need more and more in order to fulfill what the fantasy is now becoming. And anybody Lynn, that is that was selling... A, yeah. I was going to say, that was, that was well, a really great answer, and, and, and I want you to finish that, but I do, I do want you to know that as soon as you finish that, Sue Shugart has a, a question for you regarding underage prostitution. Okay, Lynn, uh, I have a question on this um, with the trafficking. Uh, right now, there are underage girls out there that have been trafficked. They're out there prostituting. This is not a choice for them. This is what they have to do. Um, what are your feelings on um, the legalities of it? They're, they're, they are being arrested and can be arrested for prostitution, even though um, they're part of trafficking. And, and what do you hear on this through you know, your organization? Any, according to the federal definition, any minor who is selling sex is a human trafficking victim. The difficulty is that not all police across the United States have had the training to be able to understand what human trafficking is. Many times when we go, when we started TAT, truckers would be making calls and then police departments would not respond because they... They hadn't had human trafficking training. All they knew was this is a prostitute, a 12-year-old, this is a prostitute. But So now when we go, we do what are called coalition builds where we'll bring in um, law enforcement from every level, from the FBI, the AG's office, local police, sheriff's department, state patrol, as well as representatives from the trucking industry into an area for a half a day training where they listen to a, uh, they're trained by a trafficking survivor, they listen to a panel of experts, they get an HT Human Trafficking 101. Um, they're all put, they're all given the same page of information, more or less, and then they work on how they can close gaps uh, so that traffickers can't get through them anymore. One of the gaps in the United States for human trafficking is that not all police have been trained. So that has to be that has to be stopped. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I, I was thinking on the question is, you know, how is it being handled? Um and you well, know, Lynn, through education. Lynn's organization yeah. too. Lynn's organization uh-huh. works with a lot of different uh local, state and federal different kind of law enforcement government entities out there. It, it is one of the things that I certainly admire about Lynn's organization particularly because she really found a niche into this problem here. Lynn, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, this this companionship you have with law enforcement? Well, from the beginning, the FBI has been very excited about our organization because of the fact that truckers are all over the place and travel plazas are all over the place. And so when they know that 
um, these truckers or these travel plazas are are being trained with our materials, then they're able to work with them sometimes in undercover means. But uh, and then in Ohio, uh, the state patrol is using all of our materials to go out and and they uh, hit every trucking company in Ohio as well as every travel plaza. And then they're also starting in July. If you want a CDL license, you have to, you have to go through our uh, training as part of the training for your CDL. But we also go, like I'm going to be going in May to train 100 law enforcement in the state of Virginia. We have someone going next month to train law enforcement in North Carolina. We in this month we will we're the only nonprofit organization that will have a 15 minute uh, window at an interdiction, a big uh, law enforcement interdiction conference in Reno, Nevada. So there are we're working really hard, as well as other organizations are working really hard to get the training out there. Oftentimes, uh, and we do it for free. That's part of the problem is that oftentimes police forces do not have the money allocated in order to get the human trafficking training. But Lynn, can I can I interrupt yeah. real quick? Because I, I want to correct you. You don't do it for free. You do it at a cost to you, just like I do this at mm-hmm. a cost to me. And that that correct. is the, the the saddest the saddest truth that I can talk about with regards to anybody that's trying to combat anything to do with with child sexual abuse or child abuse in general. It's almost always at our cost because people cringe. They don't want to talk about it. They want to pretend it's not happening. It's so real. People think that human trafficking is something that happens somewhere else, if at all. And that's not true. It happens right here in the United States. And I don't mean to go on a soapbox, but it's kind of typical for me, at least once per show. And and the reality is, the reality here is, for all of you listening right now live into the downloads, human trafficking is a serious problem. There was not long, it, it was not long ago that, that even I, that even I, thought, oh, yeah, it's something that happens somewhere else. Oh, it's not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It is a very big deal in the United States, and and, and I'm going to challenge everybody listening to say that it's not just sex offenders doing this sort of stuff. It's people that are hard up for dollars. Lynn, can you address that? Yeah. uh, There are, uh, there's a percentage of traffickers who are familial they're selling their own children, whether to get drugs or whether to get money to live on or whatever. So there's there's that group. But then um, there are gangs that sell um, children as well as adults to make money. Um, if you sell a drug one time, that's all you have. You can sell a person 20 to 40 times a night. You can sell them day after day after day, and you could make money. Um, organized crime is big into trafficking. Um, but but there can be individuals. Um, a father, uh, we know of one case where a girl came over to spend the night at, at her friend's house. The father slipped something into her water, drugged her, raped her, and then began selling her. And a trafficker usually, is uh, the, the definition for trafficking says that they're using force, fraud, and coercion in order to keep control over their trafficking victim. However, when it's a minor, anyone under the age of 18, force, fraud, and coercion do not have to be proven in a court of law. 
if they are sold for sex or labor, any portion of the sex industry, they are trafficking victims. But it can be just about anybody that decides they're going to make money. A teenage boy may decide, 18 years old or so, may decide he's going to make money by selling his girlfriend. So um, he'll start out with her as his girlfriend, and pretty soon um, she'll end up as a trafficking victim. He will uh, either be a gorilla type or he'll be a Romeo type that will convince her that um, she needs to sell her, be sold or sell herself to someone else and give him the money. Trafficking victims don't get to keep the money. No? Did we lose you, Sherry? Sherry? Are you there? Oh, I think we lost Sherry. Does anybody really? else have anything to ask? <laughs> I'm here. So I'm here. We... You didn't lose me. Oh, okay. Me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but but I, I, what I was saying that, you, that, that apparently everybody didn't hear is that, Lynn, we're still going to hear from you more before the, the, the close of the show. We got a little bit more than 30 minutes. I want to let the listeners know, please do, uh, truly, from my heart, please do ch- check out truckersagainsttrafficking.org. This is an amazing organization, and I am so surprised that I'm only recently aware of this. I want to thank uh, Twitter follower Olivia. I don't know much about her, but for turning me on to the fact that truckers are in the know about this problem. Lynn, I'm going to come back to you in a minute. I want to jump over, and, and I know this seems scattered, but there's so much stuff to cover with, with each person here. I want, to, I want to go back over to Tina. Tina, you've heard everything that we've had to say. You've heard all of the bombardment from pedophiles that you've gotten. I want to tell you that I personally, there, there is a creepy factor about your dolls when I'm thinking about the topic, but I, but I have to tell you artistically, because I am an artist, okay? I, I, I am an actual yeah. artist. I, I, do, I, I sketch and draw and stuff, and I come from an art family, and the work that you put into these dolls is pretty freaking phenomenal. And for a true blue doll collector, the appreciation is certainly there. So I, and, and, and I applaud you uh, for coming on the show and, and I hope that you have not felt attacked in any way. We want to help you to not be bombarded by pedophiles at the same time that you can continue your business. But we need to find a better way to go about this. So with your background, with your masters and stuff, with what Lynn was talking about with child trafficking, with what you heard Frederick talking about, um, and then, and then the, the survivors of this, how, do you have... Anything like going forward from now, and, and maybe it's a lot to think about. I, I totally understand. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but do you do you see that maybe something better can be done with the the presentation of your dolls so that you're not bombarded and so that pedophiles and I and I highly suggest, by the way, as I as I said a couple times, for you and Fred to connect off of the show, and maybe he can help you because my fear is that you're going to be red flagged by a Fed as somebody that's actually trafficking these dolls, even though you're not. So can you kind of address that? Well, um... I mean, just so you know, Tina, I totally believe you. I totally believe that your dolls are not child sex dolls. Okay? I I am on the record. I do not think that that Tina's taught. I do not think that Tina's dolls are child sex dolls. Okay? I, I totally don't. She could be lying to me, but I don't believe that. I don't believe she's lying to any listener right now. So please hear her. The thing is, I realize that 
they're looking at my dolls, but they're also looking at other people who do lifelike dolls. They're also looking at people's pictures on the internet, that you know, on Facebook. On, I mean, they're going to find find that. Um, just because, you know, I, I I mean, my concern obviously is because I see it coming up on on my dolls. That I realize those people are out there and they're looking, they're trying to find those things. My feeling is, and I and I've had discussions with people about this. Why is it not illegal to put in the term childlike sex doll? or something in that related to that term because you know we know addiction is progressive so you know we know we know if when you when you start into drugs you start one drug and then you go to another drug for for a better high why is it that it's okay to start with a doll that then we then we 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 were astounded when somebody progresses to a real child that doesn't make sense to me and I don't know how. You know, it, it doesn't. I don't think it makes sense to. I don't think it makes sense to anybody. And I, I think that the point that you bring up is incredibly important. This is something I talk on in in my regular show, challenging the rhetoric every week on Wednesdays. Is, is that I talk about how technology has impacted so many things so rapidly that the rest of the world hasn't caught up with how to deal with that, and, and that includes the legal world, and with the internet and search terms, and I'm an SEO expert. I am an SEO expert, which is probably how I found you. (laughs) Um, Because what we think as a business owner or somebody somebody that has a product for sale, what we think might be search terms are not how the general public will be searching for them. And very few people that own any sort of business actually understand how search terms work uh, in, in, in the Internet. But you know who does is people like Google and Bing and Yahoo and all those search engine giants. They know how it works, and they do have an onus in this. They can do exactly, exactly what Tina just said, is they can have some sort of stopgap on certain search terms and that they're red flags. Tina, I highly encourage you to, to do what you have posted on your, your website uh, to be able to post people's IP addresses when it's pretty relevant you know, or, or pretty you know, certain what they're what they're trying to look for. Uh, if you're listening, please go to Tina's Tots uh, hyphen dolls dot com, and you can check out uh, her site and her dolls, and and learn a little bit about her and and what she does. And we're going to continue talking, but I do want to jump over real quick right now to Michelle. Can you kind of address uh, you know technology's part in this? In the, in the selling of the dolls, in not just the dolls, but in this whole industry with child sex. Well, I think it's just it's it's huge. It's, there's such a bigger pool now because you have the ability to get anything at the press of a button. And like like Andrew Turley that you were talking about, the the gentleman that was in the article, he was able to sell his child on Craigslist, and you know, now that there's technology, people could just go out there and sell a child, and I don't think the government can keep up with it. I mean, he was actually caught in a sting that they knew what he was doing. But I think that there's so many of them out there that it is hard for them to keep up at this point. Michael, how do you feel about that? Um, which pod? Because I was listening, and I'm, I'm technology, reading. Technology, technology, and 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 what our role 
uh, survivors and experts and the world's role, and I can't even speak right now, role as well, particularly search engine giants. Like like Tina was saying, why can't they put a stop on people that are specifically searching child sex dolls? You know, why can't there be a red flag and it goes nowhere? Oh, there's, there's not only that issue, but there's so many issues that the search engine giants, they're not helping one bit you know they they do a few things token wise but uh i agree they they could help put a dent in a lot of this and then not because you know they're being driven by their greed that's my that's how i feel about it because there's other issues that they could be helping to stop this but and they have the capability to as you say red flag these things they're not and i don't want to hear about privacy and everything else there's there's certain issues that they know what's going on, and they they can help be a part of the solution, but they're part of the problem because they're part of the silence. They are part of the silence. They're part of the sickness. And the silence is the disease. The silence is the disease completely. Um, Sue, wh- how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, got, I agree. Silence is the disease. Um, if we summarize everything, whether it's, whether it's sex dolls, whether it's pornography, whether it's trafficking and and physical beings, whether it's parents that are selling their children, um, we have to know there's a demand out there. And it's larger than anybody wants to admit. And keeping silent and not listening and not listening to what we're saying um, is part of the problem. No one wants to admit that this is going on in such, uh, you know, expanse. It, so then it be, then it continues, and that is the sickness of the silent. It's not just the victims being silent. It's, it's everybody being silent. It's nobody listening. It's everybody burying their heads in the sand, um, including the search engines, including um, the police forces and, and the government. Nobody wants to admit that this is all going on in such expanse. Okay, that 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 was really a great answer. I want to jump over to um, Michelle, and I, I have the same question for Michelle that I have for the rest of the panelists, and then we're going to start maneuvering to closing the show. I'm going to give each of you about three minutes each to opine here on this next question. If you can give individually, if you can give two pieces of constructive advice of where do we go from here? How can we help this problem? And I think that each of you, as I go to you, can address it as far as your personal experience and your personal involvement. So we're going to go straight to Michelle, and she can address how can we do something to be impactful with regards to schools and educators. Michelle. I think that we need to educate our children better I think that I talked about this last time. We teach inappropriate touch, which is great. But I think at a certain level we need to teach more than that. Girls don't see it as inappropriate touch once they get to junior and senior high level. They are groomed to love this person so that it doesn't seem like inappropriate touch. I think that we need to educate our parents. I think that our parents, like Sue said, people just they don't want to look at it. They don't want to think that that's going to happen to their kid. They think if their child is good enough, if they're smart enough, if they're in sports, they think that won't happen. And it, it, it happens. I was in sports. I was a good kid. I had good parents. I think there needs to be so much more education, and I think we need to educate our educators. 
I think that they need to know where to go when a kid is in that situation. I don't think that I think they protect their peers a lot and they sometimes don't listen to the child. And I think just all around there needs to be better education in the school system and in the home. I, I completely agree with you, Michelle. I, I completely agree with you. And I think that Andrea Clemens and Kids Safe, Kids Safe Foundation and, and people like Fred with Cybertrucks Cyber for Educators are, are doing a really good, honorable job at trying to educate people within the schools. Unfortunately, the problem is so prolific and the silence is even more deafening. And, the, you know, per capita, oh, my gosh, you know, the population is continuously expanding. And so between that and technology, I'm not sure exactly what the the answer is. But uh, for Lynn, um, Lynn Thompson of Truckers Against Trafficking, Lynn, if you had two pieces of advice of what we can do now on on your uh, expertise, what can we do right now to start staunching this flow? One of the things is that we need to help people to quit objectifying females, women, girls. They need to be able, the more they objectify them, the more it's just this body rather than a person, the more they feel they can just use that body or um, or abuse that body. The same with children and understanding the sanctity of that life and that the dignity of that life, um, whether they're in school or whether they're out of school. There is a, depending, it doesn't matter what they look like, how they act, they they are a human being and they need to be seen that way rather than just disposable. We have a tendency in our country to, to look at certain people as simply disposable or beneath our uh, beneath us we put them in, we have our own caste system, so to speak, or class system. And those people that we look at as a different class, it doesn't matter what happens to them. And that's how traffickers and that's how pedophiles are able to do so much damage. So we need to quit looking at people in different classes. We need to keep quit looking at them as disposable. We keep, need to quit objectifying women. Lynn, what you said is extremely important for everybody listening to understand is that there is no socioeconomic, there is no race bias when it comes to human trafficking. Okay, There just isn't. This happens to anybody. It doesn't matter whether you're white, blue, or yellow. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Uh, because there are as many rich, you know, to the public looking happy children that are desolate and neglected and even abused as there are poor ones. Um, so thank you for those thoughts, Lynn. Michael, Michael Skinner, what is, I want to say something to you, Michael. I took very, very to heart, very to heart and very seriously something you said on the last roundtable, and that was we can talk about this all the time, but when are we going to do something, okay? And that is really what tonight's show has been about, and that's what drove me for tonight's show. So, Michael, what two things do you suggest from your expertise and your background that we can do that can be actionable? I I think it just starts in the neighborhood, the community, but I truly believe in, you know, with 
the public servants, public service announcements to address the epidemic that this is. Now, we know this, and a lot of other people know it, but they, they push it under the rug. So there should be safe zones. School, you know, the school, churches, libraries, there should be posters on the walls, you know, billboards everywhere and on the Internet where kids are hanging out. McDonald's in the churches, the libraries, signs, if you're being abused, you know, the safe touch, all this stuff. But there has to be real safe places where kids and adults can reach out to. This has to be looked at as a public health issue, just like the anti-smoking, addressing cancer, you know, whether you, there's all kinds, we're told we need mammograms for, for guys, you know, the, the prostate checks, all that stuff. And then, so that's that piece of it. Then also, the second part of that is the impact of abuse on not only the victim survivor, but what this is doing to the community. Tie in the money. If people don't want to look at this, look at how it's going to save their tax dollars. We would empty the prisons if we addressed this. We would we would cut the divorce rate in half. So every one of these folks who want to get on their little soapbox, how they want to preserve the family and all the rest of the BS that they're spouting, will put their money where their mouth is and start doing this, address these things, and the family will heal. So that's those are a couple things I would like to see. And those are real things that we can do and this is where the Googles and the Facebooks and the Microsoft, all those folks, they can put their money to this. The Koch brothers and all the rest of these people take some of those millions and start doing this. They want to say they want to make America and the world great again. Well, darn it, they can start with this. I completely agree with you, Michael, and I challenge everybody on the panel tonight as well as those listening live into the download to be a part of potentially a new piece of legislation that maybe we can all put together with regards to the search engines here. I think that is something that I don't know how that works, but I will look into it. But I think that is something that has come out of tonight's show, uh, particularly from Tina's uh, comments with regards to what has happened to her with the dolls. But I think it's very relevant, and, and I don't understand why. I truly do not understand why search engines, other than the monetary, the greed, Okay, that that they can't uh, realize that they have not just a huge part in allowing this to happen, but a huge part in actually stopping this because technology is one of the number one leading precursors to the child pornography, to, to the trafficking and all of that. This is how they communicate. This is how they do business and network and all of that. And if we could use the search engines and a piece of legislation, okay, and I'm all about freedom of speech and I'm all about anti-government stuff, so everybody listening and say, oh, but Sherry, but Sherry, this is important enough. This is our future. And before I go on my soapbox any further, I want to go over to Tina. Tina, if you if you could do two things, two things that can change this outlook, uh, what would they be? What what can we do? Um, well, I think first of all that there seems to be a lot of denial going on as far as um, understanding addictions and how addictions work, and part of that part of the and 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 I like I said I've heard this where. Um, People feel that you know, well, it's it's just a doll. It's okay. It's okay if it's doll as long as as long as they, you know you don't progress to a child. You don't understand how addictions work that you do progress to that. So part of it is our legislators need to understand how how addictions progress and that there is a direct link between um, you 
know, going from one point, going from point A to point B. That would be the first thing is our legislators need to be better educated on how something like this works. Second, um, there needs to just flat out be tighter laws that when somebody plugs in child sex doll, I mean, there needs to be there needs to be a way of tracking that down and assuming that you know they are going to go on farther with it than that. So it, it's that was that was a great answer. I mean, that was a really a great answer, Tina, and, and I want to explore that in, 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 right at the last minutes of the show. Sue, uh, over to you. Two things. Two things. You, you your abuse started when you were eight years old, being groomed by a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two, two things from your perspective that we can do right now. You do right now. Um, education is always uh, always your best bet. But um, we can tell people. We can tell pause. our kids. You pause. know how to. I'm sorry. That's that's like my keyword. Wait, Sue. I'm sorry. Pause is kind of like my keyword, I guess, because I say it too often. Okay. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but sometimes sometimes each of you say something that I I have to interject on because we okay. have to address what you just said. When we talk about education, education is static. People have to want to learn in order to mm-hmm. learn. So let's take education off the table for a minute. Give me two really, something we can grasp onto that is not static. It is not static. Um, I think that uh, from the beginning um, we need, we just need to pull our heads out of the sand. Um, We have to know as parents, you know, this stuff is going on. It is not just in some some other city. Uh, we need to talk to our kids. Um, they need a place to go. They need somebody to tell. If they can't tell parents, then they do need a hotline. They do need uh, teachers or clergy or somebody there that they can address this with and not carry this with them. Um, those are the things that we need to be working on. But everybody needs to be on the same page, and we can't ignore that this is happening on such a broad scale. That 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 is really great because it's about ignoring, and, and the people that ignore are the people that haven't grasped what has happened to them or the people that have never been touched by this. And, right. and, and those numbers are actually fewer <laughs> in the long end result. They're actually fewer than the reality. And but we know that I, I'm I'm going to be 48 next month. Okay, I'm going to be 48. I'm a grandma two times over, and I've been talking about this for a long time. But I know people my age that that have never spoken about this, and it happened to them. And so I think, me personally, I think that it starts with the people that have suffered through this. I think that we need to suck it up. And we need to start talking about it, and we need to take the arrows and the darts as they come, and, and, and that's hard. Before I start rounding into the close of the show, I, I kind of have a question for everybody here, and it's like 30 seconds each to answer, if you don't mind. Um, but And, and I'm going to start with um, Michael, actually, uh, and, and, and I'll kind of go around from there. My question is this. Based on the fact that medical technology, just like the rest of technology, has so far advanced, that we now know that sex offenders, sex offenders in general, this is not going to be all pedophiles, but sex offenders in general have something going on visibly, visibly, 
with the gray matter of their brain and sometimes the, and, and the white matter as well. I think it's actually predominantly the white matter and sometimes also the gray matter of their brain that's visually identifiable in MRI brain scans. Okay, so I'm totally anti-Orwellian. If you've listened to Challenging the Rhetoric, you know this. But is the answer, could it be an answer when we're talking about using tech to our advantage? Should children be given an MRI at birth and then labeled and, and predisposed as far as, uh, you know, on paper that they could go this way? Michael, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely now, now, not. Now, before you answer, that, that, oh, hold on a minute. That is, before you answer, that is, wait, Michael, before you answer and before anyone else answers that, let's put into perspective our own experiences and whether or not any of these things that I start bringing up could potentially make a change with what happened to us. So go ahead. No, that's that's scary. That That would frighten the hell out of me because just given my background, what I came from, I, it was already assumed that I was going to grow up to be uh, an abuser, if not, you know, sexually as a male. I was going to be a domestic violence, all these other things, uh, life of crime. All. No, the, I, I would not want to be labeled as a child. I did everything that I could. And I'm sure my brain shows all kinds of trauma and damage to it, but I still think we can heal. Uh, I look Just look at the, in the, the mental health world. The people that are labeled with all, you know, the schizophrenia, the bipolar, stop peeling away all those labels and go to their root causes. It's from the trauma in their lives. So, no, that, that would scare the living hell out of me. Yeah, it, it, would, it would scare me as well. And, and just so the listeners know, that is kind of where I stand, and I'll go a little bit more into that in the close. Sue, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think... Um, I think they don't, first of all, they don't know enough. Um, and they're looking at someone um, who has offended uh, and who has been, uh, you know, living this kind of weird life. They they haven't measured from birth and how that develops and in the ways that develops. We don't know. Um, I do think we know, I think we can know a lot younger um, tendencies um, and I do think there are probably cognitive things that they can address in growing up as far as um, sexuality, and this is all part of that. But, no, I don't think that, you know, we, we label someone from birth as as damaged and and dangerous and, or anything like that. There's you just, that's just, just like Michael said, that is terrifying. Yeah. Well, you know, technology is both fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Lynn Thompson, I'm going to go over to you. And, Lynn, I, I want to modify the question for you. And there's no right or wrong answer here. You're not going to be judged. From your opinion and everything that you do, if there was a, a medical test right now that could test everybody in the United States and it could determine whether they would be a, tra- a child trafficker or not, is that a good thing? Uh, no, I I don't think so because I think there are just as as Michael and Sue have already pointed out, um, there are so many different things that can uh, happen to somebody. I don't think you can predict, and I and I think that um, there are just so many different factors that can make a change in someone's life that would alter them from what a test might show. 
um, there's so many people who are told, for instance, uh, prior to having a child, that this child is going to be born with all of these defects, and and then and that they have to have an abortion or they should have an abortion, and they don't, and the child is born perfectly healthy. I, I just don't think you can, and I call it the God factor. I, I just don't think you you go on a test like that to to say this is this is a predetermined thing here. Yeah, if I can just jump in quickly, I agree sure. because it was I've studied history and back in World War II, the scientists, the doctors, they were quoting the medical research that was telling how inferior blacks were and how that they couldn't operate you know the guns on the naval ships at night because their eyesight was less than a white man. So, yeah, this is scary stuff. It's it's very 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 scary stuff. Um, I mean, it, it it's just it's it's crazy scary stuff. Michelle, do you do you have a thought on that? I do. I all of us that are survivors on here, frankly, are damaged. We all are in that situation. But I don't think a test could ever ever show you. Michael is a testimony alone to you can't judge the human spirit. I mean, he came out of something and became the wonderful human being that he is. What if he'd been labeled as a child? I just, I don't think you can judge that by a test. It's scary. I, I, I agree. I agree, Michelle. And um, we have, we have, a, we have a little bit more time. That went a little quicker than I thought for that last round of questions. So I'm going to pose another question. Um, if we did have a test that suddenly became arbitrarily as part of the norm, like the RFID chip that is becoming more and more normalized all the time, okay? If we suddenly have um, something that happens at birth with children that is a test and this predisposed labeling should occur, and I'm I'm saying should, not not because I think it should, because I don't think it should, Uh, but if it did occur, then... Is that not just going to be a new fight in this battle and more noise in in the topic? Michael, straight to you. Oh, boy, you know, <laughs> I I just think there's so many things to address. I, I don't agree with this label, and they can't do it. They don't have the technology. It, it's just, it's impossible. They can tell us that they can. But it's, that's a load of baloney. Well, you I know, I, I agree, Michael. My my fear is is that at some point here very soon, I, and I'm going to, and this is a broad, a, a broad uh, timeline because I think it might happen even sooner, but I think somewhere in the next 10 to 15 years we're going to be looking at something like this. And I, I think that for us that are trying to combat this, we, we realize that this is not a good thing. And I think that we will be muted when this happens, as if we didn't care and as if somehow we perpetuated this. And so this is kind of a uh, a good show to go on the record that, that pretty much nobody here agrees with that kind of profiling. Profiling happens uh, whether it has to do with race or sociological, uh, you know, socio- socioeconomical, you know, backgrounds for a plethora of reasons. I mean, that that is... It's sad, but true. People are profiled for lots of things every single day in this world, not just in the United States. So how how can we 
get a jump on this potential profiling. Profiling, mind you, of people that are potentially abusers to the extent of what we have suffered or, or for the experts here of what they know others have suffered. How, how can we move forward? I'm going to go right to Michelle really quick, then Sue, and then Lynn. Uh, how can we move forward? We, we each have like 20 seconds each. If, if that were to come to be in the next 10 years or so, how do we go on the record now, and how do we start a process now to make sure that that doesn't happen? Michael? Oh, um, I think with what we're doing, it just what we were talking about earlier on how to address things right now. Let's let's go back to where this all starts because no one can predict how a child is going to grow up. We don't know. So these tests, yes, and I know that they'll be pushing hard to say that they can do this, it's up to us in society to start waking up and address this. I guess I would go back to what I my answers earlier. To this needs to be a public health epidemic awareness, and no, it's it, this can't be determined by some simple test, and it's going to weed out who are going to be pedophiles and abusers. You know, when I had to deal with the post-traumatic stress and depression, I had to listen to doctors and psychologists and therapists telling me I'm mentally ill now and I'll never work again, I'll never be in music again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I had all that profile crap given to me. And so, no, it, it can't. It's, it's false. It's wrong. I, I agree with you, Michael. Uh, Tina, you, you want to address this specifically. Tina, you have like 20 seconds. Go for it, hon. Okay. I do. Um, I'm Native American. My DNA says I should be an alcoholic. I have literally lost every single male member of my family, my dad, my grandfather, my uncle, all the way down to alcoholism. I make a purposeful, purposeful choice not to drink. Everybody has free will and everybody makes choices. You have to make the choice that keeps you from going into your addiction. If you have a problem, you go get help for it. If you have a problem physically, you go to your doctor, get help. That's what I need to say. Don't give in to it. Go get help. Go get help. Go get help. And if you go to sicknessofsilence.com or sicknessofsilence.org, if you have any kind of pedophilic um, feelings, if you're fighting those, we all know, everybody on this panel and most of the listeners know that, that not every pedophile actually acts out and commits a crime and an abuse on a child. And you can stop yourself. We understand that there are a lot of psychological and physiological issues going on here. But please check out the website or at least go and Google Stop It Now. There are answers for you. There, there definitely are answers for you. We need people that have this in them to help be a part of the solution. You have 10 seconds, Michelle. A final thought? I think that uh, the more that you speak, the more that it's out there, the less that predators have the opportunity to strike because people are more aware of what's going on. So survivors just have to keep speaking and keep talking, and people need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And as far as, you know, stopping the testing, I think we would advocate for that that would actually perpetuate the problem, in my opinion, because then you let your guard down in a way if you think you've solved the problem. We need to talk more about what happens. Like Michael said, go back to the root. Survivors need to talk about what happened to them and not be afraid to talk about it with anyone and everyone that they can talk to. 
I challenge the listeners, it's not the survivors that need to talk about it. It's the people that have never dealt with it that need to listen to it. Um, I want to thank Sue Shugarts, Michael Skinner, Frederick Lane, Michelle Forbes, Tina McCulloch, and Lynn Thompson for joining me here tonight on Sickness of Silence. We are down to mere seconds, so I want everybody to please go to sicknessofsilence.com or .org um, and check out the website. Lots there for you. Next Wednesday is the regular Challenging the Rhetoric show. We're going to be picking up again with Frederick Lane, specifically talking about pornography and the Internet industry. Next Thursday, first Thursday, April 7th, SOS will be back again. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate every ear and every share and every like. Good night, all. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.